Welcome to A Photographer's Life. The channel that takes you behind the curtain into the world of professional architectural photography. Join us now for an episode with some of America's premier architectural photographers. Today's broadcast comes from a recent Zoom meeting of the Association of Independent Architectural Photographers. This discussion is led by AIAP Director Alan Blakely. We hope you enjoy the show. If you do, please let us know by liking this episode and subscribing to this channel. Now, on with the show. So welcome to everyone to this uh, January 2023 meeting of the AIAP. And uh, the topic today is kind of our wish list for manufacturers, both of equipment and software and all the things that could make our job possibly easier. And so uh, this was brought about by some suggestions that I've received an email over the past few months from photographers, members of the AIAP who have asked, is there anything we can do to prod a manufacturer or a software developer to make these certain changes? And there's been some specifics, but I thought in general that maybe we ought to talk about what's going on now and what, you know, working photographers, not just YouTubers, I probably shouldn't get off on that tangent, but let me go for just a second. <laughs> if you look at YouTube and uh, and those that are the influencers, they're generally not working photographers. And that's always really bothered me because th these are the guys that um, seem to be having the voices of authority in the, in the industry, but yet they're not the people who are actually making money as photographers. In fact, I know a few of them and they couldn't make it as photographers. And so they became YouTubers. So, um, you know, with that in our back pocket, I'd like to um, hope that maybe the manufacturers will pay a little closer to attention to uh, messages coming from photographers who actually make a living in this business and um, uh, base their opinions on, on practical day-to-day -day knowledge and how things actually work rather than, you know, what looks cool and, what's going to get more views on a YouTube video. So with that started out with, I'd kind of like to start with, with cameras and, and just kind of see where everybody is camera wise. Um, I am still using, uh, it's an almost eight year old Canon camera body as my primary camera. And I haven't found anything that I'm willing to jump ship for yet, but I'm using a Canon five uh, DSR uh, camera body as my primary camera and that camera body will be eight years old in may and mm. i i you know it, it's 50 megapixels and i i like it um for a lot of things but it would sure be nice if it were mirrorless it would sure be nice if it did a, a you know a lot of things that it doesn't do and i'm just wondering what everybody else's opinion might be about that you know, where we are right now, camera wise, as to what works for an architectural photographer. Any thoughts? Well, I had a situation just come up the last couple of weeks. Um, I have the Canon 5D Mark IV, right? Mm -hmm. And it's been faithful to us, but there was a, I brought it in to get the sensor cleaned locally. And then when I got it back, I used it for a job and it worked fine. And then the next job on the way, it was just more of a stock photo shoot. It wouldn't start up. Okay. So I brought it back to the advanced camera who did the sensor cleaning. They checked it out and they said it was the motherboard that was faulty. Mm -hmm. um, so they sent it down to Canon and Canon just sent me uh, an estimate just for labor to, to fix it. But in the meantime, they also talked about the shutter account was over 250,000. 
And once you start getting to that number, it could fail. And I said, well, what does it look like if it starts failing? He says that there's a little bit of a gray bar that shows up at the bottom. But since I'm shooting architecture, I'm not shooting at a high rate and I might be able to get um, a little bit more uh, life out of it. Well, they add, then they added another 250, I think, to which is pretty reasonable to, to um, swap out the shutter in the mirror. But it was the first time I ever had a, a Canon uh, fail on me. And the repair shop, not Canon, but the repair shop said they've been having issues with the motherboard with the Canon. And, and they're saying, well, they're not, Canon's not giving them that much attention because they're going all mir uh, uh, mirrorless. And so anyway, that's, that's what just happened to me. I don't know if anybody's had the same experience, but I've always been faithful to Canon. I started with Nikon back in the day when I started shooting in 81 because of film, but then switched to Canon because it was the first to have the uh, full sensor. So anyway, that's where I'm at right now. And I do have the Fuji 50, uh, you know, uh, GFX 50, the medium format that I've used a few times too. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm using a um, Nikon DA50 which I love. It's an amazing camera. I've had zero issues with it. Um, and uh, the quality is incredible. And the lenses are all sharp. I use all Nikon lenses. So um, I'm good with my hardware. I've got some software questions, but hardware for me mm. has been, I've been a Nikon guy since the 70s. So yeah. um, I've ever used. So um, I, I've got, I used a 780 before just for some uh, backup. I have a D seven eighty, but uh, mm. the eight my workhorse. Hey Thomas, uh, question. Um, I can tell by your hairstyle that uh, <laughs> you've been shooting as long as I have. <laughs> yeah, and I also shoot with a Nikon D eight fifty, and I think it's terrific. What's uh, your widest tilt shift lens? Do you use a 24? I don't use it. Okay. I don't use a tilt shift lens. Okay. Uh, I use an eight, I have a 20 millimeter and an 18 millimeter uh, lens that I use. The 20 is usually my standard, unless I have to go a little wider for interiors, but um, it's crystal. It's crystal clear. It's a great lens. And I just don't use that. I, I correct any of that in software with all gotcha. the corrections and distortion in uh, Lightroom. I just, it's easier to do it that way now. I used to have them, but I don't use them anymore. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I also have a DA50, and I'm really happy with it. I use the 12 to 24 quite a bit. So mm. I do a lot of uh, powder rooms when there's no other way I can get a picture, except it's a really wide lens. And it, it's got, it hardly needs any correction. Uh, I also use a 16 to 35, which is really sharp, but it needs some correction. I use Capture One, and it does really well with uh, correcting and um, all kinds of tools to fix whatever's wrong with the picture. What about your when you push it to twelve millimeters? Is that sort of distort the um, not the dis actual distortion, but the uh, perspective on the room? Uh, yeah, the size. I, of I try not to get too much of an angle when I use that. It's usually a orthographic, a flat shot. Oh. And um, I try, and I do correct that a little bit. Uh, Capture One allows you to uh, fix the perspective, so it's not quite so distorted. But, Got it. Yeah, I'm I'm real happy with that, and I basically use those two lenses most of the time. And then I'll do details with a with a uh, twenty eight to 
200. I'll shoot details with that. Yeah, so, I've got a 35 text I use for close up creative shots. Yeah. So I'm Boca, and it, it, it's really nice. Works great. A buddy of mine who I went to art picture school with is really hot on the new Sony camera. I don't know anything about it. Uh, he used to yeah. use Pentax, but he's raving about the Sony. I'm not sure anything about it, but he's he does a lot of uh, landscape uh, creative shots, and he does really nice work. You know, I, I see a lot of guys using uh, Sony cameras, um, but not and not in our particular profession necessarily, um, at least not the ones that are doing it every day full time like we do. Um, and they seem to be really happy with them. I, you know, I don't know what the particulars are. I'm just wondering, what would it take to get you to change from you, your Nikon or Canon, um, you know, full frame um, traditional DL DSLR to to a mirrorless camera Where about 30 point? about 30 grand <laughs> <laughs> so i'm not intending to go to the mirrorless just because of all the, the you know the glass and redoing everything and exactly. i'm not I, i'm i'm sure there's many advantages to mirrorless but i'm just not convinced it's worth it for me as an architectural photographer to go mirrorless um i hear nothing but good things but um the costs involved are a little uh, much for me to take a loss on all my investment in the Nikon glass and yeah. um, and then, you know, re-up on the latest, greatest mirror list. So it, it's just not there for me. And because of my hairstyle, I don't, just don't see it. <laughs> does, uh, does, does anybody think that the full frame camera is going to be obsolete with this Mirrorless trend. I I don't like mirrorless, and I just, I, you know, I like to see what I'm getting right away. And I know they're improving the delays and all that stuff. But what do you see as a trend? Do you think it's going to be gone? The old uh, full frame cameras. Well, so Sony contacted me. Sony contacted me to to use one of their cameras and test it out. And I didn't have really have the time. Uh, they wanted to have a couple hour, uh, you know, a couple hour tutorial on it. So Justin, I sent it over to Justin. He tried it out. The big difference I feel with with the Sony is in low light level, it does a great job. Okay. But it still has more of an electronic look rather than the Canon and the Nikon, more of a so-called film look. And that's the thing about the Sony that I've, I've noticed. But when I follow people on Instagram and they show their setup, there is a few that are doing, you know, using the Sony, but not as, as many as we, which you see with the Canon and the medium format and the Nikon. So anyway, they're pushing it. That's for sure. I think that that's, that's where the industry's headed. Um, and um, from a conversation I had with a manufacturer's rep, there seems to be some economies in the way that they produce cameras yes. uh, mm -hmm. that make that really attractive to a manufacturer to go to the mirrorless route. And I, yeah. I get that. Um, but like Brian was saying, with the investment that I've got and the fact that um, I've got white hair and I've been doing this for 40 years, you know, I, I don't see myself jumping on anything right now. And I know that there's people that are, you know, that are making adapters and all that kind of stuff that I could mm -hmm. use my glass 
on a mirrorless body. But um, to your point, David, the, the look of some of these cameras, um, you know, and not to single out Sony in particular, but it doesn't look the same. The files don't look the same uh, to me anyway. They, they, I don't know what it is. They're, you know, it's, it's that intangible that you have a hard time putting your finger on. And I don't know if it's local contrast or, or, or what it is, but it just, it seems a little harsh to me. And so um, I've got a, a, a fellow that assists me from time to time and he has, um, you know, the latest and greatest all the time. And um, they just don't look the same. And I, I still prefer that, that older aesthetic that I'm getting with my eight year old Ken body. But uh, yeah, go figure. I think it's like any equipment in any profession, like I shoot a lot for uh, in the logging industry and they have either Doosan equipment or Hitachi or case, but they, whatever has been working for them over the years, you know, why, why change it right now? I know we're not comparing apples to apples here, but uh, when it comes to our livelihood and everybody here has been successful or they wouldn't be on this, the zoom call. Um, it's like, what, what's taking you to the dance, so to speak, you've got to go with what's been working for you and why jump ship unless somebody's got some money toward coming towards you, you know, to be sponsored by one of these uh, manufacturers and that happens too. So, yeah. But anyway, it's works for us and we're not getting any younger. So let's just keep going with it. Can I, can I uh, throw out another um, question about, um, you know, D not DSLR digital versus um, uh, mirrorless, but what about, the format size. Uh, is mm. there anyone here shooting larger format than the 35? I, I have the, I have, like I said, I have the Fuji, the GFX 50, uh, 50 megapixel, and that's a medium format. And the advantage to that is you don't have to really have to uh, layer the exposures, take multiple exposures. You can get, it's got quite the uh, dynamic range. Mm. It doesn't have the, uh, I don't have the, variety of lenses that I have with the Canon. So, I mean, I, I need to start making that switch over. I heard that they have an adapter for a tilt shift, but on the edges, it's not as sharp as you like it. But anyway, um, again, when you look at Instagram and see some of these high-end shooters, the younger high-end shooters, the guys that are 30 years old, 30 year olds shooting for architectural digest and so on. A lot of them have the, um, the medium format. Yeah. I was just, um, I think you're exactly right with the bit depth that it is capable of. That to me seems like essentially the main advantage of that medium format. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but in, in terms of enlargements and what my uh, our, our capabilities are, I do a lot of printing in-house. Um, I don't have any problem going up huge with that uh, Nikon mm -hmm. D850 image file processed properly um and i'm sure obviously the uh uh bigger larger megapixel capture can go up larger but the practical side of things is in my mind is how often do they really go up that large and uh you know even if they do there might be a huge difference uh, to the viewer, but to me, I just don't, I just don't see it. 
And in terms of and processing those files, storing them, everything that's involved with a much bigger file uh, just doesn't appeal to me as being that big of an advantage. I'm, you know, latest, greatest gear, biggest, bestest. I think, you know, I believed in that for many, many years, but I'm going to stick with the uh, Nikon right now. And it's not just my hair. One of the other advantages of the medium format, I mean, we probably all shot four by five transparency and negative film back in the day. So, okay. So you compare a four by five image with a 35 of the same scene, you get more of a three dimensional look with a four by five image. And it's the same thing. So the larger the sensor, the more that 3d look that you get. And that's what you get with a medium format besides the depth of the file and the uh, dynamic range. It has a, more of a feel of um, the shape in those images. It's hard to describe, but more of a three-dimensional look. And that's, I mean, all you guys here probably shot four by five. You understand what I'm saying about yeah. that look. And that's what you get yeah. with, the, with the two and a quarter. The real test for me was, for my 850, was I had a, a hotel client that I used the 854, and I got an unusual request from, from the owner wanting to put the image up on a billboard on Interstate 10. <laughs> so I sent them the largest file I could. And what amazed me is what they could do with that file post-production to get it to display on a billboard. And uh, it came out beautiful. And that was from a DA50 up on a billboard on I-10. So that was sort of my test for how, what kind of range that camera has. And it was pretty amazing. So, you know, I'm sticking with my, Good old Nikon's A50s. <laughs> yeah. Some of my um, clients actually don't like too large of a file. And exactly. Most of them use it for, uh, you know, their digital uh, display on, on the website and so forth. But rarely do they want a big blow-up. They used to want a big blow-up print. I used to shoot no, with a video, which is, uh, which is phase one now. And... I felt like I was doing weightlifting when I used that camera. That was so heavy. <laughs> I really enjoy the thirty or the Nikon D and uh, Canon size now. Yeah, I, I I think there's a lot to be said for the practicality of of, of the format as well. Um, I'm sure you know we all lugged around a four by five, and we know how fun that was. But um, uh, you know, and I get manufacturers who want to. Um, have me uh, demo uh, a large format type camera, uh, but it, if in practical use, I just would not want to be bothered with it at this point. Mm. It, it just doesn't work. And and like Dale was saying, our clients by and large are using these, you know, online and very very seldom. I mean, they may be using for a, a news or a excuse me, a magazine ad or something magazine. like that. And that happens a lot or and collateral printed materials, but still the file size becomes really cumbersome for a company who's, you know, running Windows 98 on PCs and stuff like that. They just, <laughs> they, they, you know, they, they can't, they can't really handle that. They call me up and say, I can't open this file and, and can you mm. squeeze this down for me? So, yeah. So, um, you know, let's let's jump off of that uh, just for a second here. And are there any peripherals like tripods, um, you know, cable kinds of things, um, lighting, for instance, that that um, you have any thoughts about? 
Um, I know that's changed a lot. Yeah, Brian. Yeah, a couple of things. Um, for many, many years, I carried around the biggest uh, uh, Gitso that I had, which were the aluminum legs and whatnot, and um, finally, you know, wore out so many parts of it that um, I ended up upgrading to the um, the fiber. Uh, yeah. Uh, carbon fibers, carbon fiber, yeah. And I just could not believe what, why I was doing what I was for so long. The carbon fiber is so superior, and the weight is the main thing. So, yeah. Anybody else on, you know, on that that same question want to jump in? Yeah, we all started. Well, not we all, but I started with the Kitso back in the day, coming out of Brooks aluminum i just love that that tripod it was just so sturdy kept me in shape lifting it up right and then we go with carbon fiber and i think it goes up to about 10 feet but it's just a beast it's my baby so I, yeah I, I love i love that tripod i, think, I use ben i like the yeah. bedroom uh, they make a really good solid uh lightweight aluminum one that i carry everywhere it's really easy and got a nice case i could throw it on my back and uh, I'm on it all the time. It's my number one uh, accessory. So it's really nice. Yeah, I, I went to carbon fiber probably 20 years ago. And um, I've still got the big aluminum ones. And I, I, I've even got a, a Burlbach wooden tripod <laughs> still. But um, um, yeah, the carbon fiber is huge. And I find myself as as the years have progressed, just trying to get lighter and lighter and lighter in what I carry. Oh, yeah. um, I, I used to have a, a full-time assistant that I didn't care how much he carried. And so, um, <laughs> you know, that was different then. And I was, I was carrying around, you know, 2000 watt second power packs and, and then multiple heads and all that kind of stuff, but not anymore. Uh, lighting wise. One, one thing I the, the, the tripod head real quick because I know a lot of guys oh. you know, pay a couple grand for the Arca Swiss. I don't have that box. I just have the geared head Manfrotto. But do any of you guys use the Arca Swiss body, the box one? That's a couple grand. No, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm using the Manfrotto. That's the what 800 bucks or something like that. I don't know. The geared one. Yeah, the, yeah, the geared one that's got the you know the. The quick move and the fine adjust and yeah, yeah. Uh, I love that I had I've used that for many years um, yeah I, I know that, that there are a number in the group that are using the Arca Swiss but I've I've never used one so I I can't mm -hmm. I can't speak to that at all I mean uh, you know there's uh tripod head envy when you see it out there it's like having a little Maserati <laughs> oh yeah I don't know if it makes a difference. It might. I never. I never demoed it, but I was curious. Yeah. Um, one, why one do thing, you, I'm sorry. I want. Um, no, I just uh, mentioned one thing. I've always battled with since the beginning of time was finding the per perfect camera bag to carry around all the gear. Oh. I. It was this or that. I finally found a solution that I think is amazing. I. I. I've taken an, a uh, North Face weatherproof bag, duffel bag, and then I found the insert that fit me perfect for cameras. Hmm. And what it allows me to do is have this sort of backpack, shoulder strap, 
weatherproof bag with the customized insert to fit inside of it. And it's been my favorite bag ever since. I've been using that for about three years now. And I know there's all these concerns about people, you know, carrying all the gear, all the lenses, but it's been perfect for me. And I love it because it's, it's, it's a mountain backpack that, you know, you can hard to destroy. I mean, it's, and it's waterproof. And sometimes I'm out on the water in the rivers here in Florida. And I just want to make sure that, you know, the cameras are protected. So um, it's a good solution I found, but um, I just wanted to mention that to everybody. If they're looking for the perfect bag, that's that way you get to design your own bag with a, a known manufacturer like North Face. Um, I, I suppose a lot of you are using maybe hard-sided cases um, as camera cases. I, um, that, that would be my guess. That's what I see in the airports most of the time. Um, I'm using a Manfrotto um, hard-side case, which um, it's, a, it's actually a spinner suitcase kind of thing. It's a carry-on size but I can carry uh, two camera bodies and uh, six lenses and a few other things like that. And actually quite a few other things like that. And I just didn't like the weight of having to, to drag the Pelican. And so I switched from that a, about a year and a half ago, but I've got Pelicans as well. And then um, I've got a whole, um, I, I've got an outbuilding that's full of um, the old, um, Hard side cases, um, you know, the air cases <laughs> that uh, the ATA cases is what I was trying to remember the name. Um, nobody uses those anymore. You know, the, the anvil cases, the anvil ones that have the, yeah. the hard cases. Then before that was the Halliburton cases. You remember that? The silver? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I had one. Um, I use when I travel uh, out of, when I have to fly, I use uh, the Nanook. That's a Canadian brand. That's sort of like a Pelican. Yeah, yeah I've seen that. I think it's and I, I have the inserts in that and it's wheeled. Mm -hmm. I have one for my, uh, that I use locally, but when I travel, I have a bigger Nanook and I can put everything in one case and mm -hmm. just roll it on. So, uh, they're excellent cases, but they're a little heavy for my day-to-day -day stuff, mm -hmm. you know, where I'm looking up in the trunk and running around. I don't need that hard case kind of situation. Um, some of you are like me and that, uh, most of your work is not where you live. And uh, so, tra you know, travel cases are a huge deal uh, for your cameras and lighting and drone if you're using one and things like that. And and I've kind of opted on, you know, just making it as indestructible for the baggage handlers mm -hmm. as possible. And so that that's kind of where I am on that. And I've spent a little bit more money to make that possible. But I, I as a result, I haven't had damage like I used to have when I was traveling before with less expensive cases. Um, any other thoughts on, on cases yeah, while we're on that? It's local, so. Yeah, Lightwear, Lightwear makes a, a good case for uh, different things. Lightwear is kind of that uh, mesh nylon with the yeah. padding inside. Um, I've used that for a while. It's just... When we look over the years, the last 20, 30 years, and how many more cases we could take on an airplane, now you, you can only have one or two, and then start charging you more. I remember the porter, you just probably give them five or six cases, give them $10, and they yeah. put it on the plane, but that all went away. Well, yeah, I mean, some airplanes or some airlines would, would offer baggage waivers to, to the media. Um, and right. I know that they still do that, but an individual photographer no longer qualifies as media in their eyes. 
And uh, so all of those baggage waivers kind of went away after 9-11. Mm-hmm. Um, let's jump from cases, unless anybody's got a, anything else they, they want to share there. <clears throat> and uh, let's go to lighting. Um, are you using a lot of lighting these days? Um, and what are you using? Brian, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting how, you know, LEDs have really done some good things. Um, but I started testing them. I'm using hot lights. I'm using, you know, uh, um, pro what are they? Lowell pros mm-hmm. for the smaller ones. I use Aries uh, for, you know, 650 and thousand Watts. And those quartz filaments are so clean. Oh yeah. And, the, and what I realized uh, after investing for my rental studio, which is mainly used for video production. Oh, okay. Is I've, invested in a few high-end um, LED lights that are bicolor, which means you can change the uh, color temperature. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, I did a side-by-side test. And um, I tuned the LED, and these are uh, a brand called Aputure, A-P-U-R. Yeah, aperture, uh, not aperture, but aperture. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, you know, they're expensive and you can dial in whatever Kelvin degree you want. So I matched it to the 3,400 degree or is it 32 to 100 degree? Whatever it is, I matched it to the airy uh, light, quartz lights. What I found was is the. CR, CRI index, the color rating index. Uh, you know, the aperture and all these higher end LED manufacturers claim and say, and I believe it, is that their CRI, the color rating index, is greater than 96 on a scale to 100. Well, you know what? There's a huge difference between a CRI rating of 96 compared to the good old quartz filament, Aries and Lowell's, et cetera. I mean, we're talking night and day. I, in my mind, I, can't, I thought I was going to move to LEDs for location lighting, um, but there's no way until they get better. The CRI, the color rating index, is, I mean, they're pathetic compared to the clean quartz filaments. So yeah, that's that... my two cents on that. I, you know, I was really hot on LEDs and getting it, you know, they burn cool, you know, they're cooler, they're more efficient, blah, 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 blah. They're a lot more expensive, but they do not look, in my opinion, anywhere near as clean and as good as uh, pulling out a good old 3,400 degree uh, quartz filament. I have to agree with that, Brian. I, I found the same thing. I've got, I've got a set of, of bicolor LED lights 
um, light, their light panels. And um, I thought that was going to be the ticket. And you're, you're bang on with how they look. And what, what I noticed specifically was how, how things muddied up in, in the, uh, you know, the lower end um, values of blues and magentas and reds, those kinds of colors. There wasn't the definition that my, you know, 40 year old Aries gave me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, but I, I, I understand that, that that's probably where most people are going to end up because although, you know, I was in Hollywood last summer and we were uh, in an area where there was a big film production going on and you could tell that there was serious money behind the production and every light on that truck was an airy. So, <laughs> um, yep. Yep. Um, and, and it's just, it's the look, but you, you do pay for it and it's, it's, it's a little more work and you've got to have leather gloves and the whole bit. So, <laughs> um, yeah. interesting. What it, is anybody using strobes here still, or. Yeah, I'm, I'm still using strobe, mm-hmm. but getting back to the led, cause I do, I don't know how we're pronouncing aperture, whatever. I bought mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Why? Because you can adjust the color temperature, of course. And, uh, I like it for exteriors cause it has batteries and I, yeah, definitely quartz is your first choice but for the the ease of use on an exterior uh, house or a building and you need, need some fill light out there uh, not having to bring my generator makes a big difference but i do use strobe i started with speedotron back in the day and then hensel and i've got some bajas so strobe is always going to give you that little bit more sharpness too when you have that strobe um in the color i just always feel like it um, it cleans your colors up now the direction and architecture, a lot of it, as you guys see, is this more of a natural look. There's kind of a heavy, heavy mood. And you can get that with strobe, but uh, I just see that's less shadow detail in so many shots nowadays. So, um, but I do still use a little bit of strobe, but not as much. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm using brown color primos, which are ancient, but. Those are you know, great, though. <laughs> they're great. And, uh, you know, those little tiny power packs put out 3,200 watt seconds if you got the, the bigger tube in them. And I've used them for years, and I've they, you can't get them fixed anymore. Mm-hmm. But you can find them on eBay for less money than you'd pay to fix a pack. So yeah. especially a few years ago, pre-pandemic, a lot of people were dumping that stuff. So I just snatched up a bunch of heads and a bunch of packs. And, you know, I mean, look at me. I'm not going to be doing this forever. I'm sure that my strobes... <laughs> My collection of strobes will outlive me. The one thing I'll say about them is they do not travel well. The power those Primo packs have got one big circuit board in it. It's screwed up inside with four screws. And no matter how padded it gets, I've had it thrown off a plane and it cracks that board. Mm. And the same with the, the tubes. Those tubes sit into two little feet and they get very brittle over time, almost too brittle to want to remove them. But when a baggage handler throws them down, I've had um, legs snap off the tubes and those are God awful expensive to replace. So I love them. I think they're great lights. They're, they're good for architecture. They're, they'd be lousy for something fast like fashion because the recycle time is slow on them, but it's a lot of light in a little tiny box. Yeah. I'm using kind of ancient stuff. I, I mean, I've got, I've got Bajas like David does, which, you know, you can't buy those anymore. Um, except use, but um, you can still get them fixed. You can still get parts, but, um, and then I've got, I still got a collection of, of Dynelite power packs and heads. 
which I use from time to time. And it still works for me just fine. And if I need to travel really light, I've got an older quantum flash. I don't know if anybody has ever used those. You know, it's 400 watts seconds. It's just used a, them. a speed light. Um, and it has a, it has a battery pack that you have to carry with it, but that's an amazing light. And, you know, you can, you can fill up a room with that. Um, and I use that quite often, but I haven't, I haven't really found good results when I travel with my led stuff. So, you know, I'm still stuck with strobes and that's probably what I'll end up with. <laughs> I've, I've got a couple uh, Einstein's, um, that I use, but, uh, to the travel notion, I, I've had equipment break. I, most of my work is on the West coast from Washington to California. And I just drive everywhere now. I'm tired of things breaking on the plane or, mm. you know, the hassle of, of packing them and so forth. So I'm old school. I just drive. I like road trips. Um, but most of my work is in down South is institutional work, schools and, police stations and fire stations, I hardly use my strobes anymore mm. with the new software that yeah. allows you to bring out all the, all the shadows and the highlights. I, I've, I only time I use my Einstein's when I'm shooting portraits for friends and things like that, that the software has kind of left my lights behind. Has, has anybody gone to Godox? You know, they're cheap, they're compact. The bigger ones put out a lot of light. And I and there's a certain appeal there for travel because they are so small and 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 cheap. Anybody made that move or not? I use the Godox, um, the 360. This is Justin talking, um, and uh, it's one of the main lights I use. I do a lot of residential, and, and um, so it's a 360 watt second, I believe, uh, paired with some uh, speed lights, and that's primarily what I use for my lighting. And do you like it? Um, I do like it. It's, uh, they're, they're compact, they're easy to carry around. Um, I trigger them. I have some Yangnuo flashes that I use, which I'm not too fond of, but the triggering is so much easier. They're, I don't, I just, the handheld triggers are very convenient for me. Um, so that's, that's primarily what I, I use. So yeah, I have a, I have a couple of the, and they're kind of, there's a couple different brands like the Godox. Um, there used to be one called Cheetah, which I don't even think they make anymore. It's basically the same exact product. So I have two of those um, and I use them and, and they, they work well for me for the lighting I need. They're not as powerful as some other strobes. So I'm thinking maybe at some point I'll get some more powerful strobes. Um, I'm actually going to do a workshop in Texas, signed up for that for February. It's taught by an architectural photographer. And so um, I think he uses a lot of like pro photos. So that might influence my purchasing decisions as far as lights go. But but for, for what I've been doing, um, it, it works well for me so far. A pro photo is one that um, I see a lot. And, and they're actually quite active in sponsoring events. And so um, they get their product in front of a lot of uh, potential buyers really quickly when they have... Uh, a workshop and the the person presenting is using Profoto. And that's what we used to use when I uh, taught at Santa Fe workshops was the Profoto gear. And um, it's great gear, um, but I still have my boss. 
What was that price point in every accessory? Yeah. Pro photo is just crazy. crazy yeah, it, it reminds me of Bron color uh, and, yeah. uh, you know, back exactly in the, the day. Same. So, but, um, but yeah, but they are, they are durable. Uh -huh. You know, they really are. They, they really hold up. Well, this is Phil yeah. just chiming in. I'm pretty much all pro photo S2s mm -hmm. and, and A1s. And uh, man, they're durable. And you know what? They hold their color temperature across their entire spectrum. Yeah. And the, the real thing I like about them is that all my modifiers fit all the equipment. Mm. So whether I've got S2s on assignment or A1s, doesn't matter. If I need to, um, to, to, to change a modifier, I can easily switch from one to another. And uh, I just can't say enough good things about them. I know they're costly, but they really hold up well. And Profoto stands behind them. When you have something go bad, they repair it. Quickly. Do you have the mono where it's the battery? The battery oh, mono? All of all of my all of my battery. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So I don't have to find go around looking for electricity. <laughs> right. Yeah. But lightweight, they work out great. Well, they have a great reputation. One of the light that I use now and then is a uh, it's by um Paul C. Buff. It's a it's a, a ring flash with a honeycomb grid on it. If you want to just spark up like a cabinet and make it look like daylight coming through, when you put that honeycomb grid on it, it really uh, gets that effect. So mm. I use that now and then. I'm a big fan of honeycomb grids. I used to put that on my Speedotron too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I use a lot of grids as well. Um, interesting. That's, um, it's, it's, it's an interesting reveal when we start talking about what we use to light things up with because I think most people think that uh, it's a lot more complicated than it is, but I think this is a good jumping off point to go to the software, like Dale was mentioning, um, because that has opened up just such a whole new world of how we expose and and create photographs um, in conjunction with lighting or without lighting that we could never uh, do before. And so I'm curious to know what your software package looks like that you're using and and how you're using it. Uh, for for your architectural photography, anybody want to jump in there? Uh, I, I used to use Lightroom, and then I want to copy of Capture One, and I've never gone back. I know <laughs> they're very similar in in the way you use them, but they have regular upgrades and a lot of uh, seminars on how to use it better. I'm really happy with it, and then I just poured it into Photoshop. I'm I'm a bridge into Photoshop guy. I just oh. use bridge with my raw file processor. Uh, I shoot uh, mostly untethered with uh, Camera Ranger. Occasionally shoot tethered into. I like shooting tethered into Capture One, but it's got a few drawbacks. And and frankly, if your operating system and your camera and your camera operating system and your laptop operating system aren't all exactly sync. Capture One can get a little picky about it, but uh, but yeah, mostly for for post production, it's bridge into Photoshop. Um, I'm using um, sort of three programs. I I do a lot of HDR photography for my interiors, mm -hmm. so I send that in Aurora HDR, and then I import that into Lightroom, and then any final touches or things I can't do in Lightroom, I put into Photoshop and and uh, port it back and forth. But Aurora is a great program and uh, I'm waiting for upgrades, but I don't even know if they're ever gonna do one. Um, 
I, uh, the only complaint I have about all of these programs is um, capturing the, the detail of the windows when you're doing interiors. Um, I find I have to go back and manually, um, you know, pull that out. Ask those. On some, it'll work great. On others, it doesn't. So if anybody has any ideas on that, that would be my one recommendation is for all these programs is to, you know, for us, it's important to, sometimes you want the details, sometimes you don't, but, but uh, it's just extra work that we have to do in Lightroom or in Photoshop to get those windows to really look sharp. Um, Cause I'm blending three or four uh, exposures to get it right. And it looks great, but then sometimes that window gets a little washed. So I'd rather have, uh, that would be my one enhancement. I've, I've sent that recommendation to everybody, all the manufacturers, and I never get a response. So. Yeah, I that's that's the bane of our existence of burned out highlights. Yeah, you know, if it yeah. For burned out windows and burned out light fixtures, editing would be a whole lot faster. Yeah, um, you know, I've been doing battle with Skylum Software online for I don't. If you look at their forums, you'll yeah. see my you'll see me in there um, uh, with regard to Aurora and also their new Luminar Neo, which uh, yeah, I have that also. They they made it so it won't batch process. Um, they they've got this great HDR module that they're purporting, but you can't batch process with it. So anyway, they don't like me right, right now as of today. But um, the Aurora product was a an amazing product, and but they're choosing not to support it. And um, I, you know, I've even gone to the, to the point of are there any. Well, Photomatics is another one. And I've gone to Photomatics and says, can't you do, can't you create your product like Aurora? You know, can't you fix things so that it works like Aurora? But uh, nothing, nothing there so far. And that just seems to be such a big hole in the market as far as a software that they're just not addressing. And I, and I hate having to mask in windows. Um, and, you know, a lot of times I will do a separate, strobe exposure where I light up the window frame and and you all know this, you know, you light the window frame so that you get that um, definition in, you know, in the capture from the window and then, and then blend that back in, but that's not fun. Um, I thought that Skyland was headed the right direction with Aurora and thought that maybe if they kept working on it, it would get there, but no such luck. And any, any other solutions that you, you don't think there? Is right. Photomatics the other alternative? Because I've tried it and I don't like it. So do you have any other ideas as far as alternatives to Aurora? Uh, Photomatics, I think, is still a, a possible solution, but it doesn't look the same as Aurora. Um, I started out using Photomatics many, many years ago. I mean, when I first started shooting digital and, uh, you know, it has the two the two directions you can take your your blending. You can go with the tone mapping, which is what most people do. And that, you know, and what most people associate with what HDR is. And it's that really garish, cartoonish color, um, you know, rendition and that kind of thing. And that's the tone mapping route. And the other route that you can take with photomatics and you have to make this choice in the, you know, in the in the program is to go to, to fusion. And exposure fusion is the route you want to take. And there's also some open source programs that people have used over the years that um, 
that do exposure fusion. And so they're blending that together. And that, that is what the, the engine in Aurora does. It's a, it's a fusion uh, based engine that, uh, um, you know, that's got some um, so-called AI uh, capabilities in it. But um, I find that I really have to pull back on Aurora to make it look real uh, because it wants to make it look garish. And so I, I, you have to make your own presets to make that look reasonable. I don't know what's going to happen with, with that whole market, honestly. Uh, it To me, it seems like the market is perfect for somebody to jump in with a product that actually works and just sweep the whole market because um, Photomatics and Skylum have just been dragging their feet about fixing things that everybody's screaming about online and have been for years. So I don't know why they're so inattentive to to the problems that we're facing other than the fact that we we're not, you know, a major part of the market. And a lot of the people that are using that stuff, they want it to look garish and, and cartoonish right, right. and unreal. And, and that's where they're going. And, and unfortunately that's what Luminar, um, that's the direction they've taken Luminar is, you know, look what we can do with your normal realistic photograph to make it look like exactly. not a photo, not a photograph, but, um, right. So that's kind of where we are. Um, I think that most of us are probably, you know, using that Lightroom to some other ancillary product, um, and then into Photoshop if we need to, and then exporting. But I, I wanted to mention before we jump off here about the Topaz software. Um, and I use that, um, a lot and I, I use the denoise more than anything. And uh, that has made such a difference in the look of my photographs. Not that you could really tell that there were, you know, that there was a noise issue or anything. And the denoise does the job of taking care of that noise uh, as well as sharpening it slightly. And you, you have to, you have to play, you know, nice with it because you can really make things a mess if you don't. Um, and then there's also the sharpening topaz sharpener and then uh, the gigapixel um, in situations where you're going big. And I'm sure Brian, you, you know, all about this. If you need to upscale a file, gigapixel is amazing. You know, somebody asked me for a file for a billboard and I've got say a 300 megabyte file. Well, yeah, I can give them a 3000 megabyte file with, you know, a three, three gigabyte file with no trouble at all. And it looks amazing um so the topaz suite um they used to offer a discount to us they pulled off of that i'm not sure why i've uh i've been in correspondence with them they used to offer aip 25 percent discount and that went away in november and so i'm trying to renegotiate that but um that would be an excellent thing to look at if you don't already use those products because they're they're amazing yeah, I have to uh, uh, send along my two thumbs up for Topaz. Um, I use the Gigapixel uh, occasionally when I need to go really big, but I use constantly the Denoise, uh, which also does whatever degree of sharpening you want to. Yeah, uh, and um, it's they're really pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, they have saved uh, a job for me, you know, at least once a year, I have a job that I would have to reshoot were it not for denoise. 
because I've, I've missed something somewhere, haven't bracketed wide enough, something happened and the noise pulls it out and it looks just wonderful. So, uh, yeah, two thumbs up for Topaz software. Anything else on the, on the software side of things before we jump off here? I just wanted to mention something real quickly about yeah. uh, what I'm seeing um, with respect to renderings and then AI generative, generative images. Um, I'm seeing more and more of the AI generative images that are looking increasingly realistic. It's amazing how fast that technology is progressing. Yeah. So I can see that. Uh, at some point chipping away at our, um, at our workload, if clients can take, you know, maybe even a scan or something and generate and adjust the lighting to taste in the software. So it's just, that's just something I see on the horizon that's coming, you know, very quickly, um, you know, chat GPT has been in the news a lot, but the AI generative image imagery is also progressing and advanced very quickly. I think that's an important point, Justin. Yeah, um, there's there's some stuff out there right now that um, is amazing and gives gives a photographic uh, rendition, and uh, the architects are using it. It looks wonderful. I had a conversation with an architect recently about that, and what I came away with, and what you know, what was really the culmination of our discussion is that the software still doesn't tell you where to stand and what to look at, and that's. Mm that's where the architectural photographer has the advantage is, you know, they're really not paying us for, for the equipment or, you know, the software or whatever we do it, it, they're paying us for capturing something that we see either in our eyes or in our mind and are able to, to deliver that, that to them, you know, and, and, and to me, that's the competitive advantage of an architectural photographer. It's not about what you, what you use to make the image other than, than the fact of what you bring talent wise to the image that, um, you know, they're paying us for what we see. And so as long as we keep that in mind, I think these other things are, are interesting and novel, but uh, at the top end of things, um, there's still plenty of work. And I, I had a mentor years ago that once said, you know, there's always room at the top and I've just kept that. <laughs> and I think that mm -hmm. still applies. David, uh, question. Well, well, as far as, the, yeah. So Justin and I were buddies work here in Portland. And, uh, as far as my stock photography, uh, we've been seeing a lot of the AI affecting our bottom line a little bit and also rendering. So mm -hmm. that's what we're talking about is mostly yeah. stock photography because I'm with, uh, with Getty and, Mm -hmm. Get in Shutterstock and iStock. So it's a scary time as far as weaning us out of actual photos. And it started with the rendering, uh, right. 3D rendering and stock photography. So that's what we're. That's yeah, what we're, yeah uh, important point, not to be about. diminished. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks to everyone who's taken part today. This has been a great meeting. I'm going to pass mm -hmm. this on both as uh, a digital file and um, as a letter with some bullet points about the things that we've discussed and identified uh, with regard to cameras and lenses and peripherals and software and those kinds of things. And that will go uh, to the Imaging Alliance and uh, to, their, to their members. And so hopefully, at least they hear our voice, you know, whether they do anything about it or not, different story, but at least they'll hear us. So thanks to everyone. I hope that you have a great rest of the month. I will post another uh, announcement about a meeting for next month. And I hope that you're all too busy to be here. So 
um, in that regard. <laughs> Take care and have a great day. Thanks. Thank you, Alan. This has been another episode of A Photographer's Life. If you've enjoyed this program, please let us know by liking this episode and subscribing to this channel. A Photographer's Life is brought to you by the Association of Independent Architectural Photographers. This episode is copyrighted and may not be used in full or in part without the written permission of the AIAP. Please join us again soon for another inside look at the world of professional architectural photography.